0: myself to you before. And so if you haven't met me before, uh, hello. Um, my name's Scott and I'm one of the pastors here at Artisan. And we are uh, concluding today a series that we've targeted toward, toward our college crowd um, and to some extent those who are college-aged at heart, which is me, I still feel like even though I had my 10-year college reunion a couple weeks ago, I still feel like I'm a college student. But um, This series has been called Dead by Christmas, uh, which is really... Um, inspiring and uplifting but we've been looking at um, the idea that sort of by Christmas of every year of college you reach a new milestone right and so Christmas of your freshman year you've kind of really it's dawned on you that you've left your family and so we talked about leave your family the first week and Christmas of your sophomore year we, we see statistically that a lot of times people have lost whatever faith they brought with them to college and so we talked about ways that you could uh, kind of Make, turn that into a feature and, and be reborn with a newer, stronger face instead of just dying on the vine. And last week, Jason talked about the, the junior year, which, is, which was face your fears. You know, about, about Christmas of your junior year is when it starts to begin to hit you that this adventure called college is about to be over pretty soon and you better kind of think about your future. And today we come to the conclusion of this series, which is the senior year, uh, and it's called Kill Your Fears. Um, because if it's just dawning on you at Christmas of your junior year that the college bubble is about to burst, um, that means you probably haven't done anything about it <laughs> come Christmas of your senior year, and, and that's kind of terrifying in some ways. Uh, and as has been true with all of these talks throughout this series, um, we we anticipate and hope that these are useful ideas to those of you who are not in college yet or anymore or for a very, very long time, or whatever it might be in your case, or never went. Um, And this one is certainly no exception, because we all have fears about the next stage of our life, no matter where we're at. And so I thought I might start out today by telling you a little bit about where I was around Christmas time of my senior year of college. And uh, it's kind of an interesting place to be. Uh, I had... um, Accepted a job at that point. I I was one of those rare sorts who had work lined up for myself uh, before I even graduated. Um, In fact, it had lined up in like October or November of that year. Uh, That was the good news. Unfortunately, the bad news was that it was uh, a job across the country, planting a church with no guarantee of real salary or anything like that. So I knew I had to move to Las Vegas after I graduated, but I didn't know exactly how I was going to live or support myself. ...at that time. And to make matters a little bit even more complicated... ...I had, at the beginning of my senior year... ...very wisely and chivalrously, I thought... Uh, ...ended a relationship with my girlfriend at the time... ...who had you know, been very serious for about a year and a half... ...and I just decided it was time to move on. Um, and then by December, I had very definitely decided... ...that that had been a mistake. <laughs> and um, you, some of you have heard me tell this story before... ...and you know that I'm talking about my wife... Um, now you put those two ideas together Me trying to repair this relationship that I had ended uh, Knowing that for her Agreeing to that, that arrangement would mean Moving with me across the country to Las Vegas To a job that really didn't have any guarantee of pay Or <laughs> any way to support the family that we would be starting together So I was a little, a little scared um, Not knowing what my job would look like Not knowing if I was going to be married at all Or if I was going to be alone in this strange city, you know, strange part of the country, working a strange job. Um, And so, that was my unique situation, but if if you're a senior in college now, or or if you remember what it was like for you as a senior in college, I'm sure you could tell a similar story about your own fears. Um, Particularly right now, you may be looking at the job market and going, whoa. How much is grad school again? Some of you just spent four or five or six years earning a degree that you now realize you didn't want in the first place. Some of you are already thinking about what happens six months after graduation, which is what? Student loans come due? (laughs) And you're looking at the job market again, and you're going, how much is grad school again? (laughs) And so you are afraid. So uh, in times of fear, it might make sense to to turn to the Bible. Not that it's, uh, I mean, I think it does contain the wisdom we need to get through life, but it's not always an easy wisdom to understand or to apply. But we might want to look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about fear and being afraid, and in particular maybe what Jesus, our Lord, had to say about fear and being afraid. Uh, and so I have a particular story I want to get to, but before I can, I kind of need to address a couple of uses of the word fear in the Bible because they are by far the most common uses. Now, if you look up the word fear in a, in a good concordance, by far the most common usage of the word fear is in the phrase Fear the Lord, or fear of the Lord. And so, this is not going to be a sermon about fearing the Lord. um, Not least because that's not the kind of fear we want to kill. (laughs) Um, But I do need to kind of address that very quickly, because if I didn't, you would go like, well, you're ignoring the most important thing. So, fear of the Lord, what does that mean? Well, it's a challenging little phrase, isn't it? Uh, What I think it doesn't mean is be scared of God. I think it has more to do with a reverent fear. Now, Bethany read that psalm, Psalm 90. There's all kinds of stuff about, you know, uh, terror of the Lord and, and the, the, the grass burning away and, um, you know, teach us wisdom so that we can make the most of it. <laughs> and that, that, to me, is the kind of fear, that picture in that psalm that, that we're talking about. Not like afraid that God's going to strike us dead with a lightning bolt if we do something wrong, but a healthy reverence for the Almighty who created the universe. Now, um, one of my favorite authors, and, and probably one of yours too, is C.S. Lewis. And he wrote something really interesting about the fear of the Lord. He kind of gave it this little name called the, the Numinous. Um, but here's, he uses this analogy. He says, the fear of the Lord is not like somebody saying to you, there's a tiger in the next room. Right? If there were a tiger in the next room, if we closed those doors, and he prowled out, you know, or paced out, Tiger's Pace, right? If there were a tiger out there, we would all be afraid to leave the room because he might kill and eat us. And that would be an appropriate fear of the danger we were in. Now, C.S. Lewis says, it's a little bit more like somebody told you there's a ghost in the next room. You're not afraid that it's going to tear you to pieces. You're just afraid of it. You're afraid of the fact that it's a ghost and you don't know what the ghost is and I'm not sure you even believe in ghosts, but somebody told you there's one out there and... You just watched that show on History Channel or whatever it is, and you're like, I don't know about ghosts, you know. And then he goes on to conclude this little thought. He says, now suppose, I'm quoting now, that you were told simply there is a mighty spirit in the room and believed it. Your feelings would then be even less like the mere fear of danger, but the disturbance would be profound. You would feel wonder and a certain shrinking, a sense of inadequacy to cope with such a visitant. And prostration before it. An emotion which might be expressed in Shakespeare's words. Under it, my genius is rebuked. (laughs) I love that. This feeling may be described as awe. And the object which excites it as the numinous. So, that's C.S. Lewis's take on the fear of God. And I kind of like that. So, again, we're not going to kind of kill the fear of God. That's not the fear we're trying to kill. So, I'm going to leave that for now. Um, But I wanted to just give it the quickest little... um, Attention so that you didn't think I ignored it when I looked through the Bible this week. (laughs) Now, the second most common use of the word fear. Can anybody guess? It's another phrase that involves the word fear. What is it? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. There's like 50 or 60 instances of that in the Bible. Do not fear. Interesting, isn't it, that the Bible has all these expressions and phrases about fear the Lord your God. And all these instances of God, or his messengers, saying, do not be afraid. Interesting. You know, you've got, a lot, of, a lot of times Jesus said this, or it was said around Jesus, you know, he's walking on the water and the disciples think they see, not a tiger, but a ghost. <laughs> and he says, do not be afraid, it's just me. Or he's saying that people are, are wondering about how, how they'll be provided for and he says don't be afraid do not fear because the lord takes care of the lilies of the field and dresses them and he feeds the sparrows of the air and so much more important are you to him that he will take care of your needs as well so don't be afraid for your needs that's one that those of us who are facing the job market might like to hear and then several times in all the different gospels there's a great deal of fear where around the empty tomb the people come to, to attend to Jesus' body and it's not there. And they're stepping back. And then the angel or the messenger or Jesus says, don't be afraid. The thing you're looking for, the man you're looking for in here, he's not there anymore. <laughs> Which to me is like all the more reason to be afraid if you kind of put yourself in that setting. But, but that's, that's another very common use of it. So the two most common uses, usages are fear the Lord and do not fear. I don't know what we do with that, so let's dodge that question. We'll move on to this next passage. Um, The the one instance of the word fear that really stood out to me this week was in a story that Jesus told. And the reason it stood out to me is because it's a story that I've heard dozens of times in my 30-plus years in, in the church. But I never, until this week, if you can believe it, caught on to the idea that it was about fear. That fear was even mentioned in the story. But in fact, looking at it, I now see that fear is the central idea, the key element in this story. And so I'd like to turn in our Bibles to Matthew 25, verse 14. Now, if you want a red Bible under your chair, you can use it. It looks just like the one I've got, and it's on page 807. If you're looking in your own Bible for Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament. Toward the end of that book, chapter 25, verse 14. Let me read this to you. It's not going to be on the screen, so do follow along in your Bible, or if you'd just like to hear it read, that's fine too. Jesus talking, telling a story, and he says, For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, you if you can pause with me and look at the little footnote, you see a talent was more than 15 years wages of a laborer. That's a lot of money. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them (coughs) and made five more talents. "'Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours.' But his master replied, "'You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I did not scatter?' Now, I've heard about a hundred sermons on this passage, and uh, even though looking at it now, it's very clear to me that fear is a central part. I always thought this was, was mostly a sermon about laziness. Anybody else feel that way about this passage? Now, it obviously mentions laziness in there, and the, the master calls that third slave lazy and wicked. But where does that come from? What's the root of that? It's actually not the laziness, it's the fear because he said he was afraid of the master. Now, specifically, he had this fear that was based on his assumptions about the man, on what he expected from another person, um, and that 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 fear paralyzed him. And the result was inaction, what appeared to be laziness, and zero return on the investment the master had made in his servant or slave. It's the same Greek word, by the way. If you have a translation that says servant, it doesn't mean that I'm reading a different Bible. It's just the translators looked at it differently. And so I don't think this is rocket science, looking at this passage and trying to come up with some application. And so I have for you this morning two big questions. As you have that, master's words ringing in your ears about being worthless and lazy and wicked. Wow, he doesn't really take it easy on this guy, does he? The first big question is what are you afraid of? And I'm going to just kind of pause for a second. I'm not sure what to expect here, but if you would be brave... If, if the, one of the things you're not afraid of is shouting your fears out in public, <laughs> go ahead and do that. Um, I have a list of things I can speculate about. But, you know, if you want to use a strange voice like, I'm afraid of cats. Um, and, no, you know, like throw your voice over to the other side. Nobody will know. And then you can go, Ugh, cats, come on. <laughs> the guy's afraid of cats. <laughs> uh, whatever it is. Shout something out at me. Failure. Failure. Plus one. <laughs> Plus two. I'm afraid of being poor and homeless. Afraid of being poor and homeless. Snakes. snakes. You're afraid of snakes. Rejection. Afraid of rejection. Okay. Afraid of monsters. Mm hmm. Afraid of loneliness. Lion. Lions. Darkness. What? Darkness. darkness. Yeah. Coyotes. coyotes. The animal kingdom gets more and more obscure. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I would be afraid of coyotes too. Dragons. Dragons. Okay. Anything that's not an animal that we're afraid of Uh, um, fear of success success. would you like to say more about that or you just want to let it hang uh, um, interesting interesting Yeah. Really interesting. I don't know if you guys could hear what she said. She said fear of success because the more success you have, the more life demands of you. And so then the fear of failure comes back around again because people's expectations are higher the more success you've had. Yeah. Love. Fear of love. Thinking you're God, but in the end you didn't. Hmm. Thinking you're pleasing God, but in the end you didn't. Yes. <laughs> the fear of knowing that you're not pleasing God. Tigers, yes. Like if there was one out there. Yeah. Fear of death. Wow. Falling off, the scooter. falling off your scooter. Yes. And we could... Those of us who do not ride literal scooters anymore can certainly make... An allegorical application. Off Off your bike, the same kind of thing, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, bro. So these are some of the many things that we're afraid of. Um, And none of you even mentioned some of the stuff that I kind of hinted at the beginning. The job market, the economy. Nobody mentioned the idea that sort of would be the direct application of what that third servant said about his assumptions about his master and applying that to God. Fear of God as a cruel or wicked master who reaps where he does not sow. That's the kind of thing we don't necessarily want to shout out in a room full of people, especially in church. So the first question is, what are you afraid of? And the second question is a little bit trickier to answer, but I want to kind of try to do the same thing if, if you're willing. And the second question is, what are you burying as a result of your fear? The third slave was afraid of his master, and so he buried the talents. And I think it's kind of interesting that the word f- for this this unit of currency or denomination of money is talent. Um, but what are you burying? Now this this might be even harder to shout it in a room. But... Burying. That's right, we do bury people when they die, yep. And sometimes we bury people in our hearts and our minds while they're still alive. A dead fish. Yeah. Burying potential. That's interesting. Do you want to say more about that or you just want to let that one? Yeah. Burying things that you know you can do because of circumstances or because of the fear. Yeah, I, I, that, that one, Janine, is one that I really think is, that's probably the one for me personally. That For me, they do, you're right. That is very old, that is very old. Um, what I was trying to say is that to me, it's easier not to kind of reach for the stars. You know, the expression, shoot for the stars or aim for the stars. If you, if you miss, you'll hit the moon. To me, it's like, don't shoot for the stars because you might not even get to the moon. And then the people who said that expression will think you're an idiot. <laughs> right? That's kind of where I come from. I don't know about it. What else? What else are we burying um, in our lives? Uh, back here, relationships, relationships. Giving. giving, burying giving. So that's, that's kind of a direct tie to the finances in some ways. Uh, and that's not the only kind of giving, obviously, but, but burying your finances because you are afraid that if you take a risk with them um, in giving or investing that you'll lose everything. Oh, yeah, that's, that's actually much more painful than the financial loss, isn't it? G- uh, bearing your time and services because you've been taken advantage of in the past, yeah. By the way, we're going to need you to greet every week for the next six months. <laughs> 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 Amy was the uh, one shaking your hand when you came in this morning, and <laughs> now she'll never do it again, but <laughs> <No. clears throat> that's good, that's good. Bury your faith. Wow. Bury your emotions and showing them. I'm, I'm repeating this even though some of you speak loudly enough that everyone here can hear you. Just so you know, there are people who are out there listening to the audio feed and I'm, I'm repeating it for that reason. But yeah, burying emotions. Anybody else do that sometimes? Big boys don't cry. Burying truth. Yeah. Sometimes the truth is something we'd rather not face up to, isn't it? Yeah. Burying your personality. The the person that you really are in front of other people. Burying your friends. And here's another kind of question we call this 2b you don't have to shout out answers to this one but I want you to take just a minute and if we could all everybody in the room just kind of be quiet for just like 30 seconds while we think about the answer to this question in our own minds what would it look like pick the thing that you were you you would be most prone to bury because of your fears what would it look like in your life if you actually instead of burying that and getting zero return on it doubled it like the first and the second slave What specifically would that look like in your life if you went for it, killed your fears, and doubled your money, so to speak? So 30 seconds of of quiet while we just kind of answer that question for ourselves. that picture that's beginning to form in your mind just may be of the actual potential you have by God's grace to do something that really matters. In closing, I want to um, return to my question at the beginning of what, not only what the Bible in general says about fear, but specifically what Jesus said about fear. And there's another famous story in the Bible ...of Jesus addressing his disciples in a situation where they were very afraid. And it was after the crucifixion. This is found in John 20. This one will be on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible if you'd like. And after he was crucified, they were living in fear. They were literally kind of huddled behind locked doors, not sure what to do next. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week... ...and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side where the wounds of his crucifixion were. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful little subtle Trinitarian formulation at the end of that passage. As the Father has sent the Son, so the Son has sent you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If we had another 30 minutes, I could give you a great sermon on the the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. (laughs) Um, But this is where we need to leave off for now with those, I think, very hopeful and encouraging words of Jesus to people who were literally so afraid that they were behind locked doors. Peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want to receive the peace of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, that, that comes from the knowledge of God through relationship with him and, and in faith in what he has done for you in his death and resurrection. And the way we celebrate that every week here is at the communion table. And we do this uh, along with 2,000 years of Christian history and along with untold thousands of churches around the world who celebrate this same sacrament on Sundays together. And um, after I'm done praying, I'd like to invite any who would seek the peace of Christ and to receive the Holy Spirit, to come to the table and uh, tear off a piece of that bread representing his broken body. Dip it into one of the cups. We have both wine and juice, depending on which would be appropriate for you and your family, remembering the blood that Jesus shed. And receive that, and receive his peace. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for these encouraging words uh, at a time in our life when We're needing to face our fears and kill them if we hope to fulfill the potential that you have made possible for us. And even though our tendency might be to be afraid of the world or afraid of our own selves or or even afraid of you, and so to bury all these things that you've given to us, we are reassured by the words of Jesus that his peace will be with us. And that as, as you, his Father, have sent him to the world, he has sent us to the world and has empowered us with his Holy Spirit. And so as we come to the table of the Lord, um, and that presence be real to us in our lives and uh, strengthen us and nourish us in our spirit for the work that you've called us to do. And we pray these things in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our table's open for the rest of the time that we're together. We're going to sing some more songs and continue to worship uh, before we leave. So come whenever you're ready to the table. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.